it's just not fair. I should like wait for these people to get back, but I'm not going to because it's not fair. Life isn't fair. <laughs> Actually, it's not fair. And this, this Torah portion this week is the one where we hear it's not fair a lot because this is the portion where Pharaoh struggles through this thing and with his, with his hard heart. And then we see later God is hardening his heart, which kept him from making good choices. And many people say, how is that possibly fair? How did Pharaoh have any chance if God hardened his heart? Well, if you're in Torah club, you'll talk about that today, so I'm not going to. I'm the portion connections teacher in Torah club this week, so we'll, we'll spend more time talking about that. But I want to talk about... A very different kind of not fair, okay? Because it sure does seem that Moses was treated unfairly. It really does. If you remember last week, we had a good talk about overcoming fear and taking steps and trusting God. And then at the end of Parsha Shemot, last week that introduced the book of Exodus, Moses has taken his step. He did his thing. He, he did what God asked him to do. And Pharaoh made him look foolish and everyone hates him. Because they've added, he's added to their workload, apparently. And that's when he goes to God at the end of last week's Parsha, the little cliffhanger. It, the Parsha ends in chapter 6, verse 1, last week, when it says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done nothing but harm to this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. In other words, what's up with this, God? That's not fair. When God tells you to go do something and you go do the thing and it will go all well, although God didn't really say that. That's not how he described how it would go. But nevertheless, go back. You can read that. To my point, Moses thinks he's walking in. God's with him. He's going to do this thing because it's going to happen. And bam, it's a miserable failure, total failure. So he seems, in my mind, quite justified in expressing his discontent and complaint to God, because it seems as if God has hung him out to dry. And let's be honest, who wouldn't feel that way? Anyone ever had someone make a commitment to show up and help you do something or meet you somewhere and they've committed to a task and they don't show up? It's disrespectful. It's frustrating. It makes you angry. It's, it's wrong. But, but there's usually another side to that story if it's someone that's trustworthy and they don't do that. That's the great value of perspective. Is if you don't know the reason why someone showed up, didn't show up, sometimes we, we rush to judgment on that, but we find out they had a really good reason to be late. And we understand and know now that Moses didn't really have the full picture of what's going on. He didn't have that perspective. For what you see and hear depends a good deal on where you are standing, C.S. Lewis said. It also depends on what sort of person you are. Now, I'll ask you this question. Has anyone in here ever failed at something? Like really badly failed at something. Something you thought, I got this thing. It's going to go so well. And it went. It just went that way. South. Real bad. How did you feel at the end of that? Did you feel like, oh, Awesome. How easy is it to have a great perspective when you failed miserably at something? I will answer it. It's very difficult. 
almost impossible sometimes to have. Yay, bring on the challenges. I love these failures and challenges. But last week I told you that our great struggle in life is that we don't have the script when it comes to God. We don't get to know the beginning and the players and the twists and the turns, and we certainly, for the most part, do not know what God is doing a lot of the time because he's bigger than us. I didn't make that up. Isaiah said it. Your ways are higher than our ways. It's a reality. God does things. But God was doing something for Moses, something he still does today, I'm very convinced. And this is our focus point for today. If you can't learn to fail well, you will probably never succeed at anything great. If you can't learn to fail well, you will rarely succeed at anything great. In other words, I, I suggested last week that God was allowing Moses this perceived failure for his own good. Because it is really one of the most common elements of the greatest heroes of the Bible and of history. That they fail. And I want to conclude with what I think God was telling Moses when he said these words. After Moses complained, after Moses said, this isn't fair, why have you done this? Then Pharaoh said, now you will see. And I want to explain a, a little bit of what I think is behind that. You've, you, you've taken the step, you've overcome fear, now you think you failed, you feel that failure inside the embarrassment, the just terrible low feeling, now you will see what I'm going to do. And that's last week's Parsha, verse 6-1. We start 6-2 this week. And first off, we need to understand that Moses' self-doubt was not at all erased at this point. I mean... You know, we, we kind of, we've come through the conversation at the burning bush and all that, but Moses, and he had taken this step, but he certainly had a lot of hesitance, at least, if not doubt, uncertainty, self-doubt in himself, probably. And his question to God was very obvious in that. Why did you send me? In other words, I told I knew this was going to happen. Why did you send me? I knew what was going to happen. And again, this week... God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. El Shaddai, but my name, Adonai Hashem, the great, unspeakable, great name of God, I did not make myself known to them. And this is the section in chapter 6, where if you've ever been to a Passover Seder and you're drinking the four cups, this is it. It's from chapter 6. These are God's promises when he's talking to Moses, I will bring you out. I will rescue you. Third cup, I will redeem you. Fourth cup, I will take you. And the text tells us in verse 9, so Moses went and said this to the sons of Israel. He says this, basically. Okay, God, I hear you. You'll do these things. I'll go and tell them. I'll go and tell them. This God, guys, this is what God told me. Four or five cups, depending on how you look at it. We're going to be delivered. It's going to be fantastic. Trust me. But they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. So again, Moses speaks and fails. No response. And he comes back again to God in, chapter, in verse 12. Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. 
How then will Pharaoh listen to me? As I am unskilled in speech, he has not lost that particular argument yet. He's not put that aside. The people won't even listen to me. How is this Pharaoh going to listen to me? And again, again, he says, Now it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses, I'm the Lord, say to Pharaoh. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I'm unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? Hello, are you hearing me, God? This isn't working. And you keep wanting me to go do the same thing. I can't do it. Then you read in chapter 7. Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you as a god to Pharaoh, Elohim, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Now, do you think Moses felt at this particular moment like a god? Do you think he felt like he was on top of the world and the, the world was his, of course, kosher oyster, that everything he wanted could just was laid out before him? But God says, go do the thing. And here's the important part. 7-6. So Moses and Aaron did this as the Lord commanded them. So they did. And Pharaoh was, uh, Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now I want you to hear, want you to hear it. Last week we talked about it. Vayelech Moshe. And Moses went. He took the first small step out of Midian to speak to Pharaoh. That did not go well, did it? Vayelech Moshe, but he went. And the first lesson is that taking a step, a step, one step into fear and uncertainty is not the end of it. It is multiple steps, usually, for the difficulties of life and the things worth doing. It is a step in the mantra of just do something that we talked about last week. Don't be paralyzed standing there doing nothing. Just do something. One small step. That's a lesson that we learned last week. Some success is comprised of many steps. But so now in this story of him going back to Pharaoh after failing, we derive now the first lesson from Moshe's school of overcoming failure. You didn't know he had one, did you? But it's right here in Parsha era. Don't quit. Is that easy enough? Don't quit. Knock down, get up. Knock down, get up. Knock down, get up. Don't quit. That's deep teaching right there, isn't it? Deep. One of the most powerful ways that you overcome self-doubt in your life is to keep going to get up even in the face of failure. Now, if you think about the miracles, even once they started doing the miracles, Moses and Aaron now together were still failing. Why? Pharaoh's magicians were doing the same thing. No one was listening, but they persisted. They kept on going. They didn't stop. They kept doing the thing. Fear votes for hesitation, I told you last week, remember? Fear votes to say, knock down, stay down. It's better down here. It's dangerous if you get up. Don't just, you gave it a shot. Just let it go. Fear votes for hesitation. But you see, fear should do something else in us. It's not your first instinct, I promise you. 
It's not. It's not natural, but it's definitely in you. Failure should arouse determination within you. Failure should arouse determination. Now, knowing human nature, I, I know that Moses went. He, he kept on going, getting up regardless of success. And when Pharaoh continued to say no, when Pharaoh continued to obstruct his mission, something switched inside of Moses and it becomes or became a personal thing. I believe that that happens when we fail. Failure shouldn't defeat us. It should challenge you to persist, to not be overcome, to prove to ourselves and everyone else who's watching you, I'm not going to stop. And the things that try to make you stop are the things that you should pay special and particular attention to overcoming those things. It should become personal because I got news for you. This is your life. If you don't take it personal, no one else will. You are the one who finds different solutions. Not a reason to quit, but push harder. And for Moses, he had staked everything on this battle. It was now personal, which is how it should be because I don't care if it's a spiritual calling, if it's a vision or dream you have for your life, that's your life. Take it personal. And Moses did, I believe. No one should be able to derail you from a path, not Pharaoh or your enemies or whatever. And I say no one because think of the things that usually cause us to fail. What is it? Sometimes it's our own ignorance. Usually it's someone else. Usually it's another person. It's someone speaking to you. It's somebody getting in your way. It's somebody telling you can't. And I'm sorry, listen, I like Tony Robbins. I know Tony Robbins, is, he's been around forever, and some people don't like him and think he's weird and all that. But Tony Robbins is incredibly uh, motivating. That's what he does for a living. But he has a phrase that I want you to anchor somewhere. When your should becomes a must... You are unstoppable. You know what? I really should. It would be good if I would. I know what I should know. If you ever want to go, you must. You must. Should keeps you hesitating. I must do the thing. And I believe honestly it has taken Moses a lot to get to that point, and it was clear that God was with him, but something happened in that process through the difficulties, the failures that God had allowed, and it was personal. It was his must. Moses is like, uh-uh, I'm not quitting. This must be done. Looking at the people, looking at Pharaoh's arrogance, looking at Aaron standing beside him. These people are counting on me. I have to do this. And it was no longer just God's thing, because if you remember, it's not that Moses thought he could do it himself. But if you remember early on, God said, hey, Moses, I've come down to deliver my people. And he was like, cool, go do it. Nope, not anymore. Now it's our thing. We're doing it together. I have been forced to face this jerk, and we're doing it together. Persistence made it personal. That's a thing. He internalized. That's what getting up again does. Moses was his God's chosen instrument. God is with him. But, but this tough road that God had Moses on, it wasn't about being fair. God, I don't, 
God is a God of justice, but fairness is something very different. It's not fair. It was about being committed and not quitting and not running and throwing in the towel. Because remember, Moses had run before, right? When did he run? When he faced a huge obstacle, like someone wanting to kill you. That's a pretty good reason to run, I get it. But he did. After the murder of the Egyptian guy and Pharaoh wants to kill him, he runs. He ran away. Many people do that when adversity hits. Many more people do it when they fail at something. They just say, that's not... I tried, forget it, it's not for me. Heroes fall, and they get up, and then they learn. That's the key part. Abraham Lincoln once said, I must die or get better. A great, great, great hero of a man. I must die or get better. You know, Lincoln had a pretty serious case of the blues. He, was, he battled depression a lot of his life. But after, the, after a failure in his home state with some election or to his constituents, he, he writes, I must die or get better. In other words, I will not quit. I will only improve or else I'll die trying. My Japanese is terrible. Nana korobi ya oki. Fall seven, rise eight. It's an incredibly powerful Japanese proverb. Fall seven, rise eight. It does not matter how many times. You get up one more time. That's, That's the thing. You know, the Mishnah... Success is not fast. The Mishnah tells us that the story of the plagues occurred over a year-long period. Now, there, it's Judaism. There are a lot of other opinions about that. But this is not a little 10-day thing where every day, let's see what God's going to do today. Ooh, blood water. This was over a long period of time. And Moses is in the thick of this. Persistence. Now, it, was, it, it required a lot of commitment, and I could take the next hour to tell you all kinds of stories about failure. In the Bible, of course, there are a lot of those, but also maybe more relatable in the real world. Tell you about Walt Disney's dream and all the banks he went to and Colonel Sanders' chicken recipe and all the, all the restaurants he went to. I could tell you about Steve Jobs' computer and getting fired from his, from his company. But I'll just tell you the one you already know, probably, which is the great, one of the greatest stories of, of persistence is Edison. Thomas, Alva, Edison. 2,000 different materials they tried to get, just to create the filament for the light bulb. 2,000 attempts to create the filament. And his assistant said, all our work is in vain. We've learned nothing as they were struggling through this, to which Edison replied, oh, We've come a long way. We have learned a lot. We now know that there are 2,000 elements which we cannot use to make a good light bulb. (laughs) And when the editor asked Edison, how does it feel to have failed a thousand times trying to do this? I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. That attitude in your life changes your life. It really does. 
I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. This is Thomas Edison. God was teaching Moses lessons. First of all, he realized, I'm not alone. God really is with me. That's kind of an important thing that is not always easy to sense, but he is. I'm taking steps, it seems, into uncertainty, and then apparently God shows up and does something. Now, that doesn't seem quite fair, but that's the way it is for Moses. I am capable, I can do this, I'm empowered, but it turns out failure is not impossible even when God is with me and I'm empowered. And it turns out possibly that God is orchestrating failure in my life for some reason. Now, that's not fair. He doesn't care. He wants you to rise. He wants you to accomplish the thing that you can do. People fail They quit or they keep going. But there is one sure way that you will always be a quitter. That is to tell yourself it isn't fair. And the times in our lives when we tell ourselves things like that at hard times and failure, that I, I, why is this happening? I shouldn't be experiencing what's happening to me right now. That is probably one of the greatest impediments to a fulfilled life that you'll ever have. You can't argue with reality. And I say that with sensitivity because I am not walking in everyone's shoes. And I know terminal illness and broken relationships and all kinds of stuff. I understand it. But first of all, to deny the reality. Secondly, to say it's not fair puts you in paralysis mode. That is ultra counterproductive. Now you will see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. That was on the other side of Moses' failure. The other side of stepping into the unknown, the scary thing of trusting God's plan. And let's face it, Karen sent me a question this week that I'll answer now. Did God, did Moses know God? Like what kind of relationship did they have during the burning bush? Of course, there are a lot of opinions, but apparently Moses asked a lot of questions about God. He had been in Midian for a long time. He grew up in Egypt. He only found out he was a Hebrew somewhere in that process. It's not like he was praying to God every day and asking for instructions. This burning bush shows up and says, I want you to go do this and deliver these people from Israel. Who are you? I'm God. Okay, I'll go. That's pretty bold. Moses' failure was the doorway, though, you see, to his triumph. Now you will see. Now, because of your steps of faith and your willingness to get knocked down and get up and fall seven, rise eight, and not quit and learn from setbacks, after those things, now you're able to see the big picture of what's actually going to happen. You're going to be committed to it. And we can do this, Moses. Now you can appreciate success and the plan on a whole new level. And here's the thing. I, cannot, I can't pass up the opportunity to reference President Roosevelt here, who encapsulated everything I'm saying in 140 words. It's not the critic who counts. Not the one who points at the strong man as he stumbles or where tells the doer of deeds where he could have done better. 
The credit belongs to the man who is at the person, the man or woman who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred with blood, sweat, tears, dust. I'm ad living. Who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst fails, but at least fails, endeavoring in a great task." so that they will never be found among those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. Teddy, way to go, Teddy. And someone might ask, good gracious, Rabbi, is this a, is this a Tony Robbins seminar or is this a Shabbat service? It's not a Tony Robbins seminar, but it is a motivating message. Guess what? I have the honor of being able to speak into your lives, to do that. And these Moses lessons, God spoke to him as he was failing. He reassured him. He told him, keep pressing forward. And I get to do that to you. I have the great privilege to stand and talk to you like this about living your life. You might say, fine, I don't have like a great and high calling. I sell insurance. I am a mechanic. I am a rabbi. I'm an accountant. I'm a, I'm a secretary, a salesman. I live an ordinary life doing ordinary things, and I'm fine doing that. I don't feel like I have a, you know, earth-shaking, let-my-people-go kind of calling on my life. Okay, I get it. So if I can just be personal with you for one minute. Of all the people in this room, all of you and all online and everybody who's ever been in this room, who ever thought that they would have an impact on people's lives to have a calling, I assure you I would have been at the bottom of that list. I assure you of that. And, and I know that, you know, this is relatively small potatoes, what, what I do here, but uh, I do have the honor and great privilege of helping people live their best life, which is something that I was not very good at for many, many years. Many years. I come from a... a a self-induced rough background and history of sex, drugs, and rock and roll and all kinds of unspeakable things. Not successful by the world standard in my early life. As a matter of fact, I think if my dad had not called me at a low place in life and said, come and work with me, I, don't, I wouldn't be standing here. I'd be wandering around Midian in some aimless quest. But you see, I didn't know God's plan. And so when God showed up in, in my own burning bush, I was scared to death. I had no confidence. It started like this. Hey, pick up your, you play the guitar, pick it up, sing for all these people songs about God. No, 
I don't sing. I sing by myself with no one else. I don't do that. I can't do that. Do it. Okay. Then, why don't you lead this congregation through all the mishigas that is congregational leadership? Why don't you, you and Kelly take up those reins? Lead. I can't. I can't. I talk too slow. I talk like a robot. They called me Mr. Roboto in high school. I can't do that. I'm not smart enough. I'm not qualified enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not religious enough. I'm a whole bunch of not enoughs. And all along the way to today, I've been scared a lot. And I've had a lot of of failure, and I've been discouraged a lot, and I still get discouraged, and I still fail, and I still sometimes worry about my ability to even do what I do and make any connections to you or teach you or improve your life or do anything, and imposter syndrome and every other imaginable thing. But I'm qualified to stand up here and give you this message. Do you know why? Because I've done what I have been telling you to do over the last two weeks. I learned it from Moses and from many other people like him who've come after him. It has been on the other side so often of a big, scary, uncertain step or after a massive failure or feeling that a massive failure was imminent that God showed up. Miraculously, this isn't a new message. There's probably 15,000 of these messages going to be given. Hey, I was really struggling and God showed up. Wow, that's novel. No, but when it's your life, it means something. And, you know, he shows up and, and not without audibly saying most of the time, he doesn't usually say, now you'll see what I'm going to do. He just gets busy doing it. If you're along for the ride, and I know, I... I know there are many, many scary and uncertain things still ahead that I need to do in my life. And I'm scared of them. I don't even know what they are because I don't know God's plan. But, you know, I find myself fighting against them. But I've seen enough to know this. Take the step or forfeit the miracle. Take the step or forfeit the miracle. There are so many people in this world who will never, ever know the potential that God gave you because of fear, because of failure. And Moses could have done the same thing, but he didn't. Moses fell from his high position in Egypt to murderer, to exile, to shepherd in the middle of nowhere for 60 years. You want to talk about ordinary I'm going to talk about sort of shamed and disgraced and wandering around with sheep in Midian with the Jethro and hit. I mean, and God called him and he listened. And he didn't look so great and high and incredible then. But when we skip ahead, this is the beginning of Moses' story in Exodus, and we know so much. Let's skip all the way. Think about what we've learned and think about what's ahead for Moses because you know we come to 34, chapter Deuteronomy 34, near the end now of Moses' life. We're at the beginning now. And Moses, the servant of the Lord in Deuteronomy, died there in Moab. As the Lord had said, he buried him in Moab. 
God buried Moses in the valley opposite Beth Peor. To this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone, which makes me just so much love Moses. That's the potential we have. Now, it, I hope that one of you goes and parts the Okmulgee River for us to walk through it. Or, you know, whatever. Let's go to Destin and part the Caribbean Sea. I don't know. It may, it's probably not going to look like that. that. That may not be the scope of the thing that you do. But it's your story that God wants to write in you. And as we model our lives after Moshe Rabbeinu, our teacher, and live our lives, not without fear, but in spite of fear, with courage, as I talked to you about last week. And, and not with complaints of failure, but a willingness to be taught from what God allows in our lives, even in, even in failure, for our own good, for the good of others. So I'll say this. May Hashem's words to Moses' successor, the one who had to step in and fill Moses' shoes, talk about a job, and he did. Who was it? Yehoshua, God is salvation, Joshua. Hashem's words to Joshua, may they rest deep within you. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And in the words of the Duke, the one and only John Wayne, Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Shabbat Shalom.